Do you remember the feeling of New Year's last year as we started 2021? In some ways, it feels like a year ago, but also 20 minutes ago and 20 years ago. I'm not sure about you, but I think many of us, including me, were looking to 2021 as a new year that will sort of put the pandemic behind us and we would be able to move forward. To that point, I got many of the ideas for the series from Clay Scroggins, who preached a similar series at this time last year. But here we are, finished with 2021 and looking at 2022. And as I've been thinking and sort of trying to prepare for 2022, I've had more than a few times where it felt a little too much like 2022 would be 2020 part two. Uh, This week I saw a meme of a woman from a TV show screaming with the caption, the moment you realize 2022 is pronounced 2020 T-O-O. I thought about naming this series after that, but it seemed like a rather negative way to start this year. I also heard someone on the radio describe last year as 2020 Junior. Uh, Anyhow, most of us have looked at 2022 hoping, but not with big expectations, that surely it's going to get better in 2022, right? It sort of seems like that 90s Disney classic Pocahontas. You remember that song where Pocahontas is sort of standing there singing about the riverbend? What's around the riverbend? Waiting just around the riverbend? Why do all my dreams extend just beyond the riverbend? You get the idea that the song is brimming with hope and expectation. That surely when we get around the corner, there's going to be something better. But it almost feels like we have gone around one bend in the river, and then we see another bend, and then before we know it, we're going down a waterfall. Or we climb a hill only to realize there's yet another hill. Or we move through traffic, uh, thinking we are finally going to go faster, only to come to another accident or more road construction. It's as if the hits just keep on coming. Now this phrase previously referred to radio DJs playing the top music hits one after another. But now this phrase has sort of shifted to mean the problems that just keep coming on. Uh, Maybe more like a boxing match when the hits from the other boxer just keep on coming. And that's frustrating and challenging because when we feel like we are through it, then another challenge or obstacle comes our way. Here's something else that we're going to have to move through. If I can state something that is not meant to be pessimistic, but rather a very real possibility, especially given our recent history. As difficult as life can seem now, we have no promise that it's going to get better in 2022. Ah, ah, right? As we're seeing right now with the surge, we have no promise or guarantee that there is something better around the riverbend. Even if this variant is less deadly than the Delta variant, we are continuing to see life change at high speeds and likely never going back to pre-pandemic times. On top of that, there is certain uncertainty about almost everything right now. So what if it doesn't get better in 2022? What if the hits just keep on coming? What do we do if the hits just keep on coming? Uh, What will happen to your faith if it doesn't get better this year? How do you and I maintain or grow our faith when it feels like problem after problem is coming our way? How do we continue to trust God when life doesn't seem to improve? And is it even worth following or continue to follow Jesus, even when it seems that 2022 might not be better than 2021 was? And that's what we're going to talk about for these next few weeks. Uh, Part of the challenge is that we all are sort of tempted to vacillate between extremes in the way that we see life. Uh, There are times that we see life through our lens of faith. And this lens can feel extreme because it can feel disconnected from reality at times. And as a pastor, I hope we all see life through the lens of faith, because it can be a beautiful, helpful, and caring perspective. But it can also be a very misunderstood perspective. 
uh, maybe you aren't following Jesus or you're still trying to figure out what faith in Jesus looks like. Maybe you have experienced a lot of the Christian cliches that, that might be true, but they don't really help anyone by themselves. Uh, for instance, when someone is going through a hard time, we say things like, well, God knew this was going to happen, uh, which leads us to, to at least wonder, well, why didn't he stop it? And when the lens of faith is disconnected from everything else, it can seem like we are in complete denial about life. Uh, the other very different perspective is a lens of suffering. And while this lens can provide a helpful context for seeing life, this lens can lead us to be consumed with all the wrong, all the bad, all the hard, all the difficult, all the suffering in life. And only seeing life through the lens of suffering isn't the full picture either. That both lenses are important because a lens of faith disconnected from a lens of suffering leaves us feeling like we're not in touch with this world. And then on the flip side, a lens of suffering disconnected from a lens of faith can feel quite depressing. So what I hope we can do today, and really over the next few weeks, is help us find a faith perspective even in the midst of suffering. And that is when our faith comes alive and is really the most necessary, because we usually need our faith when everything isn't going well. In the season of suffering, difficulty, challenge, in the overwhelming season with hurt, loss, and brokenness. It's not only the time that we need our faith, but it's the time when we can experience the most growth in our faith as well. So today, we're going to look at a narrative from the time when churches started popping up in the first century, and when the message of Jesus was really starting to spread really fastly. Uh, first, though, before we sort of get to the story, a word of caution around suffering that's really a good reminder for most of life in general that playing hardship Olympics is not productive. That, that, that game where we sort of give a gold medal to the person who has suffered the most, uh, sometimes that's devaluing our own suffering, sometimes that's elevating our own suffering, because it feels more than other people's suffering. Uh, either way, it's best to resist comparing or assessing our suffering based on others, because there's really not a lot of good that comes when we compare our suffering to each other. And as we get into this narrative, it becomes apparent that what these people in the narrative have suffered through is likely so much worse than what almost all of us have experienced, are experiencing, or ever will experience. We're going to start reading in Acts chapter 16, and you can follow along in the Bible app. If you don't have the Bible app, head to bible.com app. Once you're in the app, head to the more menu option in the bottom right corner, select events, and you can find our church. We'll also have the notes and verses on the screen as well. The book of Acts is really an inspiration, or inspiring account, rather, of the sequence of events and the stories about the start of the church. And it was written by Luke, who wrote the account of Jesus' life that was also called Luke. Uh, much of the book includes Saul, whose name was changed to Paul, as well as a colleague of his named Silas. Now, Paul was sort of the church pioneer because of what he did to start so many different churches. And this story is one of a sort of a sliver of a moment of suffering that Paul found himself in the middle of. And really, he was no stranger to suffering. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. So Luke, who wrote this, was with this group, including Paul and Silas, when they meet this girl. And this girl is, is being used by some people to make a lot of money for them by telling fortunes. But that didn't really help the slave girl. Verse 17, she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God and they have come to tell you how to be saved. That wasn't untrue. That was what they were doing and that was who they were. But this went on day after day. 
Now, if someone did this to you or to me, eventually we would become uh, really irritated by that. Verse 18, this went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her, which brought freedom for the girl. But this cost the people who were making her or were using her rather to make money from that fortune telling spirit. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. As we'll find out later, though, what they accused them of was really unjust. They didn't have any law to stand on to support their claims. But a mob mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and their city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Now the Greek word for clamped is interesting because the only other use of that word in the New Testament is referring to the guards at Jesus' tomb trying to make it secure, just like the jailer tried to secure Paul and Silas in chains. And in about an hour or so, Paul and Silas go from relative anonymity to being publicly shamed, beaten, and then thrown into prison. And in the words of a famous news anchor, that escalated quickly. And even though it was completely unfair and unjust, the officials might have had to throw them in jail to keep them alive because maybe the mob was so riled up that they would have killed them. Verse 25, around midnight, Paul and Silas were. Now this might've been one of the darker times of their lives, which is why I wanna pause here. You have your own dark moment or situation, uh, maybe right now or, or something you think back on in your past. I want to invite you to put yourself in their sandals. Maybe if we were Paul and Silas, we would have been resigned to the fact that we were going to die in this jail cell. Uh, Suffering has this sort of unique way of revealing a lot about us. Suffering reveals what we have secured our faith to. And when we are in our darkest, worst moment, we sometimes realize my faith is secured to something more than I thought it was. However, sometimes we find out I've been trying to secure my faith to something that isn't secure. And like a tube of toothpaste, you don't know how much is really in there until you sort of squeeze it out. And suffering does that in the sense that it reveals what is on the inside, what we've been securing our faith to. And as we're continuing to see, the story of Paul and Silas sort of further illustrates this point. Because they were wrongfully arrested for healing someone, and not just arrested, but beaten and secured in the jail with chains. Verse 25, around around midnight, Paul and Silas were. And we'll see what Paul and Silas were doing in a moment. But before we do, what would you do if you were in their sandals? Uh, Maybe if we were in Paul and Silas' sandals, we would have been resigned to the fact that we're going to die and suffer in this jail cell. But verse 25 says, Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. And this is interesting because they are probably people listening to you and watching you when you are in your darkest moments of suffering and the hits just sort of keep on coming. And we'll talk about this more next week, but what are they hearing and seeing from you? Uh, Now back to that first part of the verse. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And that almost sounds like hard to fathom or believe, right? That in the middle of all this suffering, after being beaten, falsely accused, and then thrown in prison, they were praying and singing to God? 
And this is when many of us would sort of wonder if their lenses of faith were sort of disconnected from reality. But this illustrates the first important promise that Paul and Silas seem to sort of have secured their faith to, that God is with us, especially in suffering. Because what we know about Paul, not as much about Silas, but certainly we know that Paul had been through lots of suffering. And this wasn't the first instance of suffering, and it wouldn't be his last either. And so Paul's faith was secured to the promise and his experience that God was with him, especially in suffering. That Paul and Silas demonstrated their faith in this promise by by even praying and singing to God because if God wasn't with them in their suffering, then why pray or sing? And when you read the rest of their story in the book of Acts, it seems pretty obvious that their faith was secured to something more than surely it's going to get better. Uh, Their faith was secured to something more than surely next year is going to be better. Their faith was secured to something more than just around the river bend will be better. And so what promises are you securing your faith to? Uh, What promises am I securing my faith to? That oftentimes we secure our faith to promises God didn't make. Uh, First off, we don't want suffering, and so we create the idea that God promised us that we wouldn't experience suffering. And hopefully we know that is not reality. However, when we face suffering, we try to cling to this promise that God never made. Because I like life when it's comfortable and when it's working out for my benefit. However, Jesus actually promised us that we would face suffering. And on top of that, God never promised that we would have our health forever, that everyone is going to face death at some point. That hasn't changed. That good health isn't a promise that we can sort of cling to and hold on to because it hasn't been promised to us by God. That our God will make good on every promise he actually made, but that doesn't mean that he'll make good on the promises he didn't make, which should make sense, right? But it's probably a good reminder for all of us to make sure that the promises that we're securing our faith to are actually promises that God made in the first place. And unfortunately, in some ways, this is the very, this very story rather, it sort of demonstrates and maybe even contributes to our misunderstanding of the promises that God actually made versus what we want God to promise. Verse 26, suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. And this is where we sort of attach an idea and sort of put a spin on the actual promise that we want to secure our faith to. The actual promise is God will make something good out of suffering. And to this promise, we attach the idea that we think we know what good would be. We have an idea of something we would like God to make out of the suffering, but the reality is that our ideas and our thinking about life in general and really any suffering specifically, are insufficient compared to God and the good that he has in his mind. And then our twist on this promise is that God will make something good out of our suffering. Uh, Our twist is that to that promise is God will deliver us from suffering. Now, sometimes God will make something good out of the suffering, and that good will be delivering us from the suffering, uh, like he seems to do with Paul and Silas. However, this twist is not the promise that God makes to us. Uh, Also related to that, God didn't promise that our lives would get better, you know, up and to the right. We can actually see that wasn't the case for Paul, that his life didn't keep getting better from this instance. So you can't secure your faith to a promise that your life will get better. And I can't secure my faith to a promise that my life will get better when neither God nor Jesus promised that. I think it would be best for you and me to secure our faith to what has actually been promised. Faith is best secured to actual promises, not possible 
outcomes. So here are two of those actual promises that we can secure our faith to. Even if 2020 isn't, 2022 rather, isn't better. God is with us, especially in suffering. And there might not be a promise that is more comforting than that. And this is partially why Christmas is so important, because Jesus came to us, into our broken and suffering world. He didn't send someone else so he didn't have to be with us in the suffering. God came to be with us, especially in suffering. That in the middle of the pain and the brokenness and the difficulty and the hard times, he is here with us. He is here with you, whether you are facing financial pressure, facing a health scare, facing a job loss or a transition, facing anxiety, depression, or other pain, or whether you are facing a two-year pandemic with no end in sight. God is with you, especially in suffering. And then that second promise, God will make something good out of suffering. Now, as comforting as that first promise is, this promise isn't very comforting when you're actually in the middle of the suffering, but it can be a powerful reminder. You might never see the good, though. The good might be way down the road. The good probably wouldn't be what you expected or what you wanted. That when the hits just keep on coming, secure your faith to the promise that God will make something good out of suffering. Uh, my kids have been losing quite a bit of teeth lately. And while our kids understand that the tooth fairy isn't real, we do put money near their beds when they lose a tooth. Uh, that is when the tooth fairy partners actually remember. Because the last few teeth, I've actually been with my kids when they lost their teeth. Unfortunately, I would forget to confer with my tooth fairy associate about which one of us would put the money near their beds while they were asleep. Because we are like most parents with young kids who just are happy to get them into bed without a big fight, right? Uh, anyhow, during those times when the Tooth Fairy Associates forgot to leave money, our kids would sort of play along. But they would seem a little disappointed that the Tooth Fairies forgot and didn't come through on their promise. And to our point today, God is so much more dependable than a Tooth Fairy or really anyone else. God does not forget. God always comes through on His promises. God does not lose sight of something He promised that He would do. God is a God who will do what He says he will do. That our God will make good on every promise he has made because that is who he is. And when you're in the darkest moment of your life and it feels like the hits just keep on coming, I hope that you'll remember that there are actual promises, not just possible outcomes, to secure your faith to. And those promises are strong enough to hold us in the middle of pain and heartache. Even if this year doesn't get better, even if around the corner there isn't good news, those promises are strong enough to hold us even if the hits just keep on coming. Because when things are good, easy, and working out, it's pretty easy to have faith uh, in who we depend on and what God has said and done and who God is. And yet Paul and Silas are inspiring because they had faith even in the tough times when the hits just kept on coming. I don't know about you, but I want to have faith like that. I want to have faith that is pandemic proof. I want for you to have a faith that can get you through the next hard time. That you have something and someone to hold to and to hold you with certainty, no matter what comes your way. That faith is great, but faith in the light of suffering of this life only works when our faith is secured to actual promises, not possible outcomes. So as we pray, I invite you to express that faith in God to the God who can hold you in the middle of everything, anything, even when the hits just keep on coming. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the story of Paul and Silas. Thank you for their lives and, and this story specifically that give testimony to the fact that we can have faith in you even when the hits just keep on coming. 
and, and bad thing after bad thing and problem after problem. And it, and it just seems to get worse before it sometimes gets better. God, would you help us today as we look at life, as we look at our current situation, maybe for some of us, as we look at the year ahead, we, we just aren't sure what the year is going to hold. We, we have hope and we want it to be good. We want to be optimistic. But even if this year does not get better, would you help give us a faith that can be secured to your promises? Would you help us to remember your promises when we get down, if we get discouraged, if we start seeing that the world is, is not turning out the way we hoped it would be? God, would you help us to look to you and to your promises that you will be with us, especially in our suffering, and that, God, you will make something good out of suffering? And we might not see that. We might not actually know how that all is going to work out. But, God, would you help us to look to you? Would you remind us of that in the tough times that we're going to face this year? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.